Today's podcast is brought to you by eSportsEcommerce.com. eSports eCommerce is a new platform to help streamers make more money. Upload all your Twitch, Discord, and YouTube content into one place while being able to sell branded items such as sweatshirts, hats, and stickers to all of your viewers. Be sure to check them out at eSportsEcommerce.com. Sign up for a free account today. Welcome to Business and Esports, where we bring the business side of esports to you. This is your host, Jordan Olivas, and today we have Bernardo, who is the University of New Mexico esports advisor. Bernardo, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jordan. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, so about me, I've been kind of in the industry for a little while. I was able to take a team out in a professional or amateur sort of capacity to a CWL in Anaheim a few years back. Made that that was kind of my swap over from hardcore competitive to the esports side of life. Uh, met to got to have a few minutes with Hector Rodriguez there and realized that you know the K through 12 and the collegiate side of life was lacking. And so that kind of is what drove me towards this sort of thing. I've been IT support for almost a decade professionally, so I've not quit my day job, if you will, but uh, did a little like brief uh, broadcasting or diving into Twitch, um, and now I'm here just running this group of UNM esports students and uh, competitors. Awesome. So with UNM and a lot of other schools around the state of New Mexico, there's been a really big rise the past 12 months in the space. How do you think UNM's going to compete with some of these larger tier, what I consider tier one schools? As you know, there's a lot of collegiate, I believe it's over 130. 30 collegiate teams now in the country. How do you think they're going to compete in some of these bigger states where, to be honest, they used to have a larger access to a larger population? Pretty easy because with esports, we can see that as long as you have the minimum number of team members required, you can field a team. That's pretty That's pretty much the, the advantage we have. So even if we do have just the five people on League or six on Overwatch, we can still be competitive in the space. It really comes down to team synergy. Like you can have the largest pool of talent that you want, but if you can't create synergy amongst that group of five people or whatever it is in Rocket League, it's three, then you could have you know gone through 300 candidates and still had bad synergy at the end of the day. Do you think that the University of New Mexico is taking esports seriously or is it more of a, hey, I've seen this on the news and we're going to facilitate you because it doesn't cost us a lot of money? Or is the athletic department actually starting to take you seriously? We've got some good reception. We actually got to meet with the athletic director a few weeks back. He sits on a couple different committees, one for the Mountain West Conference and one for the NCAA. And having his insight into the field and what people know of locally for UNM and their growth or their changes that are going on in sports, in traditional sports, uh, this is a real prime time for us to actually get into this realm. Right now, they don't have the capacity to take us over per se, but they are going to assist us in growing into a varsity recognized program. So they're going to try to connect us through like sponsorship and all those things to make sure we're not stepping on any toes as we grow and to make sure it's a good fit all around for the institution and for the group. But again, we've, we went a different route. Some schools like a Boise State went through academics and we've kind of followed suit a little bit. So we are talking to deans of colleges who have expressed interest in uh, actually developing focused classes and then also through the university's um, IT department, having partnered with them for backup as well. Excellent. How are you starting to staff some of these teams? For example, are you going to the high schools, trying to connect with them, trying to scout for talent? How are you drafting these? And are you starting to receive any sort of money for scholarships for either in-state students or outside 
the state. So for the teams and developing those, like you were saying, to draft in any uh, individuals, we're doing a lot of word of mouth, a lot of social media pushes. Uh, we're actually developing the campaign for 2019-2020 currently. It's all student-driven leadership at the group in, in its core. So we have an executive team of students who come in who are volunteering their time as an extracurricular activity or group for these students. And then they're the ones developing their own communities. It's very organic. So as soon as they have enough to field the team and have alternates, they elect a coordinator and or manager. And then they're the ones who then help us to understand, okay, well, what are the collegiate governing bodies or who is the one running the official tournaments that are sanctioned by these developers? And then we get them in contact at the higher level through the student executive board to reach out and then make those connections. And then give me the second part real quick. Well, so, so scholarships, I want to understand. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the most important yeah. part, actually. So scholarships monies and dollars have not fully been identified. We have started with some dollars for the infrastructure and hardware. And the next step that we're again partnering with some of the deans and schools and other groups are now to, to attract like the alums. We've been working with the Alumni Association to build up a group there to extend our reach. We found out that one of UNM's graduates happens to be the VP of World of Warcraft, so we're looking to connect with him further about not only developing some student opportunities through classes, but also with esports and competitive gaming in mind too. And again, we're, we're, we're being creative in how we attract those dollars, whether it be through sponsorships and partnerships with F500 or F100 companies, or we go through, again, like the Alumni Association, look to the, uh, the bodies that were that build those scholarships for other traditional sports. So in terms of working with the community and working with someone like, I don't know, let's say the community of parents that are bringing their children here to the University of New Mexico, how are you handling that? Is there any sort of pushback saying this is not a real sport, this is not good for our community, all they're going to do is waste their time playing video games? I know there's a lot of people that we've got over that as an industry as a whole, but obviously there's still a lot of holdout for other types of people. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Have you Any sort of negative feedback have you received? Uh, I wouldn't say that we've received any full negative feedback. We've gotten a lot of constructive criticism. A lot like what you said, though, to parents, of course, main concern is that gaming has inherently been for their generation something that's been looked at as, quote unquote, a waste of time. However, you know, like as we know, esports has gone all the way from the coin op cabinets and high score tournaments and the 80s till now and the modern iteration being closer to like the halo and modern warfare call of duty age we're seeing less and less of a gap where parents now are having kids that are about middle school age or getting to that age that realize that this is an actual opportunity for them so it's a matter of i think education and so if we do receive pushback we've actually started a portion on our webpage that's going to be the esports 101 where they can go self-educate a little bit about seeing what kind of dollars to donuts if you will are going to come into the industry moving past the 1.5 billion dollar mark through other groups that have been doing research and then showing that oh this is a craft or this is just as hard to do as an actual traditional sport and they have to put time in and effort in to do that and balance their school life as well are you connected with the rest of the school in a sense of if you don't maintain this sort of gpa are you kicked off the team, suspended, things along those lines? I just want to understand what is the formal relationship between what you're doing and the rest of the school, and how are other collegiate sports teams managing that in the esports industry? So that is that's a great question, and we are following sort of the loose guidelines based upon like NCAA and other governing bodies for traditional sports. We figured if we can make it accessible to the minds of the parents and the faculty and staff that we're gonna say, okay, eligibility is gonna be just like a student athlete. 
So we're going to try to mimic that. They have to meet enrollment standards. So they have to be full-time enrolled as defined by the institution. And some of that does come from the actual developers, uh, governing bodies like a riot or CSL or ULOL. So that's where we get kind of that rule set from. So we're trying to set the bar a little higher by, by starting that off immediately. Even as like a club organization before a varsity recognized decision comes down the pipe, we are already putting our standards as high as we can get them for the students. Overall, are you finding it to be a fairly easy industry to manage in terms of because there are no rules, or do you find it to be actually more difficult because you don't already have those guidelines in place? It's a little bit tough. It depends on the game or the developer, whether or not they're very active with their game. Obviously, like League of Legends and Overwatch are massively active, especially considering that Overwatch League has been in full force for a couple of years now. It's easy to emulate those ones from the top down that are Again, just really actively making sure there's rule sets, they have certain patches that you have to be on uh, in order to be competitive. Those are the easy, uh, lower hanging fruit. And then those that are less active, like making sure that, you know, we're following the Hearthstone collegiate standards and uh, ones for games that are just, again, like single player. StarCraft II is still kind of an interest of some of our students. And then again, now that we're seeing these auto battlers come out, making sure that we're in line to say, oh, we can be competitive, but again, we want to make it to a standard. I think emulating the professional governing body to the you know to the T is kind of our goal so if we don't have anything at the collegiate level we just default to the professional level for their rule sets excellent how are you defining who you're gonna be playing against I know this is still fairly new but are you just working in state are you working in a region globally uh, you know, how, t- tell me more about the competitive scene so right now we are I guess more national. We haven't gone too far outside of the borders of NA and we'd like to go global. We've already had discussions with other groups in the state. I've been reaching out and making connections for the students that are part of their other organization leadership from like New Mexico Tech to Highlands and New Mexico State University to start kind of an in-state educational esports group. So that way we can uh, maintain competitiveness. We can have like a traveling circuit. So that way we can go from school to school to school to have like an actual LAN. And again, that's really kind of what we're trying to do is get these students together more often, more often in person with that LAN experience. So that way, if they ever pursue it in a professional capacity, they're ready. Uh, but global is the aim at some points because this because esports and gaming doesn't, does not actually yeah. have borders, <laughs> as we know. So That's awesome. That's awesome. In terms of what's next, and you talk about, I'm a senior, I've been in this club or this collegiate sport, however it wants to be labeled in the next four years, what's going to happen to those people? Are you trying to line them up to go into a Team Liquid or Immortals, or are you trying to say, this? these are the skills that you need to monetize this as a profession? Because as we both know, it's actually quite easy to make forty or $50,000 a year doing this, right? I mean, you have to put in your work, but I mean, the barriers that existed five years ago are, are no longer there. Right. So what? How are you educating these people? It's like you know, this is a sport, it, but I want to take it then more than just a sport. I want to make it my career. How are you developing that skill set for those students? Addressing it as like a competitive player perspective only, um, we're kind of on the back end or lacking in that. We're trying to develop it more with an academic centric mindset. We want them to pursue their degree or their interest in their education and then have the development for like the the skill set to get, make them a professional. We're not really trying to churn out pros at first. We want to have them be educated and and have them ready for the real world because as we see and with, and I think you've mentioned in a previous podcast yours like it's it's not just like the gaming part 
that where people mm-hmm. can make yeah. money. There's going to be administrative people on the back end, HR personnel. There's going to be managers of teams. We're going to have nutritionists and you know uh, personal trainers uh, that will be a part of these organizations, especially in the professional realm. And we're already seeing it in pro esports. So we want it to be again something that prepares them for life. If they so happen to be that good, if their talent level is already that high, yeah. I've been expressing this in a lot of meetings with other esports groups and with like the NMAA. They don't need us at that point. They wouldn't ever yeah. have. Needed. They would have never. <laughs> That's have a cool needed. problem to have, right? Just right. Like, they would. <laughs> I mean, New Mexico isn't a big state. You know, of course, you have the Brian Urlachers of of the world, which right. is great to see. But you know, New Mexico tends to produce a lot of great fighters. <laughs> you've yeah. got You know, I mean, you've got all kinds of people that are coming out of here that are great fighters, and it'd be kind of cool to see New Mexico recognized as a place that produces great esports champions. And just before we started recording the episode. We're kind of talking about that. How there's, as you mentioned, you know, Halo Three, right, has a, had the highest amount of pre-orders of any state out of the country. And you think about a state that has only a few million people; it's pretty impressive. And uh, you know, to see that, I think there's a lot of passion in this state, and for as small as it is. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, just just seeing what that can hold, and and just another even non-esport group, New Mexico United. For anybody who doesn't know, is a local. I think it's PDL team. They're mm-hmm. just below Major League Soccer in their league, but. They've been selling out Isotope Stadium. So the fan base, too, in this state, not just the gamers or the people associated with the esports industry, we can make a great land. We could, hopefully, long-term, we're going to try to take over the pit and like all those, <laughs> all those places where I people are it. used to seeing it and then have those big exhibitions. But the fans that happen here in this state are fantastic. And, I mean, I couldn't think of a better word. They're, they're just unreal. And they've been uh, hugely supportive of, like, New Mexico United. So if we could shift... Because so, they have young kids that are going there too. I remember going to sports events with my parents and kind of walking around, going like, "Okay, like, yeah. do I really want to be here?" But, but <laughs> we could like partner with them and try to and try to get with them to say, "Oh well, FIFA is a major played game out yep. in Europe, and we do have sports titles like Madden and, and 2K yep. that are also seeing their own esports uh, um, communities grow in massive amounts." So there's a real a real world connection between the traditional sports and esports and. And who's to say we can't do one or the other as long as we balance it correctly? Absolutely. So I don't know if you've been, I mean, I'm sure you're keeping up to date with all the recent news, but in LA, they just completed their 13,000 square foot esports arena. When do you think something like that's going to come to New Mexico? I mean, do you think that that's something that the governor is going to support or even the mayor is going to support? And do you think it'd be a wise investment? I mean, for me, I'm not a huge traditional sports fan, right? When growing up, my family all loved watching sports. I like going to a local game occasionally, maybe a nice Topes game. But at the end of the day, I could sit there and watch Team Liquid all day long. I mean, I'm a huge Team Liquid fan. and so. But do you think that's something that the government can get behind to support that type of infrastructure build? I think they can. Um, what's awesome and unique about New Mexico is that being in this southwest pocket, um, we don't have too many natural disasters. So from like an <laughs> yeah. IT perspective, we just had Facebook move in down in Valencia County and they went and tripled down on their facility. They went from, I think, a 500,000 square foot a few months later in the news, it was a million. And then a few months later, it was a 2 million square foot facility. Wow. So when you have a group like that come in and invest in not only land, but like their infrastructure for server farms, we really have the ability to maybe attract like an Amazon Web Services or Google Stadia because we it gets hot and windy. Yep. I mean, we don't have flooding, we don't have earthquakes, we don't have tornadoes-ish. We have like <laughs> small tornadoes, yeah. very rarely. Yeah. We can count on our hand, I think, every few years, like how many we have. But, but again, that means uptime for a lot of these yeah. digital and technological um, companies, especially like in the F100 and F500 groups. 
that's attractive having that kind of uptime. So if we could become like, you know, a mini Silicon Valley or what's going on in Arizona with development through like, just again, they're, they're like, Oh, it's just hot here. We'll pay for AC, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, no big deal. I don't have to worry about my server farm cracking in half literally. Like yeah. fantastic. You don't have to worry about hurricanes even better. <laughs> like, yeah. So if that continues to develop positively, we just had, I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, was it NBC? Universal. That uh, just, well, Netflix just invested like a billion, I think is what it was. Right, yeah. Netflix. Well, and then also another one just recently in the news, of, I think it was NBC Universal, I don't remember, but we'll have to look it up. It also invested in Wow, right now, I so, didn't even know that. I'm living right here. So That's crazy. More Hollywood, more technology. It's entertainment, right? Entertainment. It's enter- and yeah. so esports is just a part of that world too. So if we also see like New Mexico United continue their wild success, they're going to need a soccer stadium or something, something yep. rather than a baseball stadium. <laughs> so if that sort of development comes into the, to the scope, maybe there's room to, to say two-part stadium, dual purpose maybe. I love so. it. <laughs> I love it. As we kind of start to wrap this up, what do you think is going to happen in the next 12 months? What's kind of your biggest prediction in the esports area? It, well, in the next 12 months, I can't say it's going to happen for collegiate esports, but I know that... In the professional realm, we're seeing that gamers and the actual competitors are going to come to some new world protections. We're seeing a lot of that Tfue versus FaZe Clan stuff really kind of develop. There's a lot of other things that are probably at play there that nobody really thinks of, but now are starting to churn within the esports community. There's a lot of folks out there who have insight to those realms commenting on that currently, but that's what it kind of amounts to. We want to make sure that these competitors are protected. So I think that making sure that the NCAA if they try to delve into esports um, from the traditional sports realm that they're already tackling likeness and licensing, mm-hmm. they need to make sure that that's all um, resolved before we go into it. The student competitor needs to be protected. They can't be working for free, if you will. Like I get the education is a good trade-off, but professionally it doesn't make any sense. That's a big L on the competitors. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. like, well, I, you can use my name, but I don't see anything. Yeah, it, it's, so. well, I mean, it kind of comes back. I think it was my last episode or the episode before that. I think it was titled uh, Normalizing Esports. Right, and it's it's formalizing it. Right, we're starting to grow, and the rate the rate of growth is just spectacular. And I remember when I first started this podcast about a year ago, and I was like, "It's gonna hit a billion dollars." Oh yeah. And we're already just skyrocketing past it. It's it's phenomenal to see. One last final question: Who do you think has the best collegiate League of Legends team in the state of New Mexico? In the state of New Mexico? Oh man. Um, it's probably going to be UNM. Uh, All right. Because we have guys developing yeah, really fight, well. fight, Fighting words. Fighting words. Um, right now, we were able to actually compete last semester in the Mountain West Conference inaugural um, League of Legends championship, or tournament, if you will. We got a lot of growing to do, too, but, I mean, that's what's great. There's All these groups are developing, and collegiate esports has been very open source. We know that it means... A huge win for all of our groups, especially at the collegiate level and the institution level, if esports can come to fruition at that, that plateau. And instead of plateauing and growing, excuse me. Yeah. We can do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we know that at the collegiate level, being open source is important because a big win for everybody, it means that we can compete, we can attract more people to come yeah. visit our stadiums and come hang out and be part of our institutions. So Awesome. Love it. Well, Bernardo, once again, thanks for coming coming on over. Really appreciate it. Once again, everyone, please be sure to follow us from wherever you get your podcasts from and visit us at businessandesports.com. This is Jordan.